0: On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer.
1: I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone, that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Shachtum, an Indo Askeliger.
0: Time a mon the end of Chacht er a corp, Agasuligum a Makansha, Gurfeger e a hoir, a nuik cart, len of winter thing. Schilti, vis, turme.
1: Toshi, dochretchet, nach vetach, ara, igornemjon, unchest si in the echo. Vientalem a or corn Yatokshet Horin Griven or her car du Elis Duhalagis Gimina Fracht, Gor Kligsardukish Necker, and even our own Vin Marev. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Ireland has found itself as a European outlier in its broad public support for Palestine throughout the ongoing war in Gaza. In the most recent Ireland Thinks poll in the Sunday Independent, 79% of people felt that Israel's response in Gaza amounted to genocide.
2: So take note, Butcher Biden... The ancestors of the Ireland that you claim to be from disown you. Keep our country out of your mouth.
1: Throughout the country, people are marching, holding protests, but also taking action on the high street and in sporting arenas. But how do these acts of solidarity impact the conflict people are outraged by?
0: I've said it a million times, there's more important things in sport. In 10 years' time, it's going to be more important that we did not play this game than if we did. And I think that's the line that we need to stick to.
1: I'm Tabitha Monaghan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Irish Independence Deputy Political Editor Hugh O'Connell and news correspondent Ellen Coyne to discuss commercial, cultural and sporting boycotts that are trying to influence change in Gaza. Ellen, this week the Irish women's basketball team is set to take on Israel in the European qualifiers but there have been calls for the team to boycott it. Where's that pressure coming from?
2: The game is supposed to take place on Thursday. It was actually supposed to take place later last year but got delayed because of the conflict in the Middle East and some fears about security concerns. But a group called Irish Sport for Palestine which features the former Dublin footballer Michael Dara mccauley and uh, David Hickey have brought a petition and a letter to Basketball Ireland saying they believe that Ireland should pull out of the game to try and send a political message to Israel. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that if that boycott were to go ahead, um, Basketball Ireland's chief executive, John Feehan, has said that it would basically be ruinous. So there would be an 80 grand fine for skipping the game this week that would go to 180 grand if the the follow-up game in November was also pulled out of and there would be a five-year penalty which would effectively end the careers of the women on that team. So I suppose when you start talking about boycotts it's worth considering who actually pays the fine in the literal sense and the figurative sense in that is it a big institution like Basketball Ireland or is it individual players who effectively have their career ended because of the pressure to give in to a boycott? So there is significant consequences if they decide
1: to not participate in the game. But what about the mood in the Ireland camp? Do we know how some people are
2: feeling one way or the other? We've heard very little from the actual players themselves. A lot of the statements have come from Basketball Ireland or from the chief executive, John Feehan. We know that five players on the team will not travel to Latvia this week. Um, It's understood that that is because of some concerns. First of all, about playing Israel, and second of all, because of the the fact that this has become a bit of a political issue as well. But I suppose that it's kind of worth considering the fact that this pressure is being exerted on a on a woman's game, and some people might argue that it's not relevant, but I'm trying to imagine a scenario where it would be seen as a reasonable expectation to ask maybe a male. Star, sports star to effectively end their career three, four, or five years early because of a call for a boycott that was initiated outside of the team. I think that's the difference here if the if the if the political agitation had come from the team itself, it might be different, but it's external pressure that's being put on the women on this team. And what about other
1: sports other than basketball? because I think the Olympics is very much coming in for pressure as well that
2: that's taking place in the summer in Paris. Is Israel still participating? Yes, so the interesting thing about Paris 2024 is that the Olympics kind of created a problem for themselves.
0: Russian and Belarusian athletes will be allowed to compete at the Paris 2024 Olympics as independent, neutral athletes. The International Olympic Committee has announced those individual athletes will be allowed to compete but must not have shown support for the war in the region. So
2: that was seen as a pushback on the Russian invasion in Ukraine. They couldn't have anticipated what happened, but obviously in the wake of everything that's going on in Gaza at the moment some people are kind of agitating that the same pressure should be put on Israel we already had a situation where a French basketball player had to step down from her role as one of Paris 2024's ambassadors she was perceived to have posted uh, what was claimed was an anti-Israel comment on Instagram and uh, the Olympics came down on her very quickly and said that she had breached the neutrality that's required for the games a lot of people have been asking how is the the, the International uh, Olympic Committee going To handle this. And they said that the impact that this has on Israeli and Palestinian athletes is being monitored. Discrimination has no place in the games. And uh, the committee was kind of quick to point out that the committees of Israel and Palestine have been operating in peaceful coexistence for several decades. It is the consistency of how organisations are treating Russia versus Israel that I think is particularly
1: interesting. And it is coming in for scrutiny in the Eurovision as well. So again, not a sport.
2: Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out, Israel did host the Eurovision in, I think, 2019. And even then, some people were kind of agitating for a boycott to take place for some countries to not send a representative. But RTE says the contest is not a political one.
0: Of course we respect anybody's right to, uh, to protest, but RT is a public service broadcaster. All of our colleagues throughout Europe, like the BBC, like French television, all
2: of those are participating this year. It's about music, it's not political. Obviously, it's far more intense ahead of the competition this year. In Ireland, there's been quite an active campaign against both the Irish kind of Eurovision Committee and RTE. Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign had their chairperson Zoe Lawler out talking about this. She says that as Palestinians bury their children, surrounded by the rubble of their homes, that basically it's not reasonable for the European Broadcasting Union to have Israel in the competition and short of Israel being expelled, the next thing that the The campaign wants is for Ireland to join an international boycott of Eurovision 2024. Irish Artists for Palestine has had an online petition which had some very prominent Irish artists lending their name to that, also calling on Ireland to ask for Israel to be excluded from the contest. And RTE is obviously taking some of the pressure as well. The broadcaster is being asked to boycott showing the Eurovision if Israel remains in the competition.
1: Yeah, I think they've received something like 600 letters calling for them not to participate. But what about our entry,
2: Bambi Thug, what have they said? Uh, A lot of people have kind of avoided putting pressure on the performer themselves. I think people are conscious that Bambi Thug has already got significant abuse on social media uh, because of their gender identity and also just because of the style of their performance. And I think that when you look at groups like Irish Artists for Palestine they're trying to direct the pressure towards big organisations like RTE like Ireland's uh, kind of Eurovision Committee rather than putting it on the individual artists themselves. I'm not sure if it's fair or reasonable when an artist has just been kind of vaulted into the spotlight from relative obscurity to leave the decision to pull out of a major competition on them. And obviously this year is particularly important for Ireland because it's our last chance to hang on to our record.
1: And also a lot of people are saying that we have a very good chance with Pambi Thug to get into the finals. So it's quite difficult, you know, yeah, to make I that decision.
2: Other people would say that that is supposed to be the point of a, a boycott or a protest, that, is that it, there is supposed to be a cost to it, that you're not supposed to do it at a time when it's most convenient for you, that there is supposed to be a penalty or else it kind of means nothing. But I suppose the thing with boycotts is, again, going back to maybe the Basketball Ireland issue, who is it that actually bears the greatest penalty or responsibility from it. Is it Israel? Is it an international organisation? Or is it a smaller individual?
1: We're talking about the Eurovision or the Olympics or, you know, Basketball Ireland and them engaging in boycotts. But on an individual level, there are organisations calling for people to boycott companies? There is
2: the BDS movement which is Boycott Divestment Sanctions which tries to put the power back in individual people's hands. And I suppose when people are watching the scenes from Gaza they're horrified and paralysed as well by the sense of helplessness. So these movements are supposed to give people an opportunity to take action. We've seen this work against organisations like McDonald's and Starbucks, both of which have reported that their profits were down in the last three months of last year. McDonald's McDonald's faced a boycott because it was reported that some McDonald's branches in Israel had given free food to Israeli soldiers. McDonald's was quick to say that this was what it perceived to be misinformation, that McDonald's branches are always run by local business people. It's a franchise, but it affected their profits. Starbucks tried to take legal action against a Starbucks union, to tried to indicate support for Palestine, and it then launched uh, what turned out to be a massive boycott campaign against itself. I suppose it's really relevant with Starbucks because in recent years it's had this kind of renaissance where it's gotten more popular with Gen Z, which would probably be the generation most likely to see these calls for a boycott, which have largely been organised online. But you see those examples show that once you actually are able to target the bottom line of a company, it increases the chance of an ordinary person to be able to influence things in favour of their political campaign.
0: Israel could lose up to $11.5 billion a year if the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement peaks. That's if the EU legislates to boycott all Israeli goods and blocks foreign investment into the state. Is this likely to happen? Well, opinions vary. Israel's government economists say it's hard to predict, but it is possible.
2: And even looking at calls for divestment we've had a private members bill even here in Ireland put forward by Sinn Féin last year but which is coming up now I think next week or the week after to stop Ireland from investing or to divest from companies that are based in illegally occupied Israeli settlements and even the Irish government have conceded that while they agree in spirit with the the actual bill itself they're currently trying to work out the best way to kind of go about it and if you actually need to do that through law. So these are kind of ways that kind of try to chip away at what seem like these huge international organisations that can't be touched by ordinary protests. And I think for a long time, people have found that to get at companies financially is probably the best way to stop them from being involved in companies like Israel, and companies like Israel. It is that feeling of powerlessness when you see what is going on in any
1: particular conflict, you know, not just the Israel-Gaza one and you, you ask yourself, well, what can I do? So that is what people are doing now is targeting companies but also there's pressure for people to post on social media and where they fall one side or the other. What do you think of that?
2: I think sometimes that can tip from being... Constructive, well meaning protest to kind of um, an exercise in out virtueing each other. And I think I've even seen it with like, I have friends who maybe posted a picture of their child with a happy meal. And then on the next post, we're like, sorry, I forgot about the boycott. <laughs> so some of it actually turns into like, it not, it kind of losing the actual aim of the demonstration itself and becoming more about seeming like the kind of purest, most correct person online. What I think is really interesting about the way that Irish people have responded to the situation in Gaza is, I think it's actually one of the most recent examples I can remember of a nearly totally offline protest.
0: Power to the people, because
2: the, the people got the power. So we get very used to seeing huge demonstrations in Dublin but I think like any time in recent weeks that I've been down in towns like Dungarvan or Ennis, if you're in a small Irish town on a Saturday there's a strong chance that you're going to see a demonstration in support of the Palestinian people. So I think that while a lot of people tend to dismiss modern young movements saying that you know it's very easy for someone to just post something online... I think that there is actually a huge depth of feeling among Irish people that actually gets them outside and to a physical protest, some of whom might not have attended a protest ever before or haven't attended one in quite a few years. Hugh,
1: just picking up on what Alan said there, that it really has struck a chord, this particular conflict with people across Ireland everywhere. How is that being reflected in politics now?
0: Well, I, I think it's been reflected in the fact that Last year, when the war began, um, or after the October 7th attacks and and the subsequent retaliation from Israel, the the dole at leaders' questions was dominated for weeks by questions about this conflict and Ireland's position on it and calling on Ireland to do more.
1: The Israeli regime is not a legitimate actor or a normal state. It is a terrorist state. It is an apartheid state. It is a state that has been built from its inception on the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians.
0: You've had developments such as Sinn Féin at first saying that they weren't calling for the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador to to Ireland, uh, Dana Ehrlich, to then, under pressure from their own grassroots, moving in that direction. You've had the Irish government take a very strident position in respect of this, particularly in contrast to to other European countries, for example, uh, very early on calling for a ceasefire. Very, uh, very early on, I think being outspoken at an EU level in relation to this, and now as as the war has moved on, and, and clearly it's something that's going to continue for qu- quite some time. Notwithstanding the pressure uh, that it's coming under from um, you know, some parts of the political system, the government is kind of holding the line in respect of things like the uh, joining the South Africa case in the International Court of Justice, arguing that they need to take kind of a legal opinion on this and then decide whether to join and, and you know ar- arguing that it's a very protracted process. Therefore, it's not just a case of simply joining the case as they're coming under pressure to do. I think the nuance of that is being missed a lot by the general public. I think the, the opposition, in fairness to them, have been very successful at hammering home this idea that Ireland should be joining this case that South Africa has taken against Israel for alleged genocide at the at the International Court of Justice. Now m- more recently the Taoiseach uh, Leo Radker at the uh, end of the European Council Summit in Brussels, most recent one just last week, was saying that Ireland is seeking the support of fellow EU member states for a review of the EU-Israel trade agreement and is also in discussions with other kind of similarly minded EU countries at the idea of recognising the state of Palestine. Now there are Dáil motions going back several years, dual and Shannon motions going back several years. Uh, where the uh, the will of the oroctus the will of both houses of the Oroctus has been to recognize the State of Palestine, no government has acted on that. There is a commitment in the current program for government to recognize the state of Palestine. Uh, subject to getting some sort of agreement with international partners. But obviously the war has changed the game a little bit. So uh, now Ireland is exploring this idea, well, could we band together with a couple of similarly minded EU countries and recognize the state of Palestine? And that has weight in terms of the ability, I guess, of the state of Palestine to get more recognition internationally and strengthen its hand, I think, in any peace negotiations uh, that might come to pass. Because obviously Palestinian statehood is something that the Israeli government in particular in recent times has, has really kind of argued against, I guess, in in light of the war and and what's transpired over the last few months.
1: And you did mention South Africa's case in the European Court of Justice and that the government are taking legal advice there but also I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the government has said that we want to also speak with opposition parties and make sure that everybody understands exactly what's going on here so it really does sound like they're taking this incredibly seriously
0: Yeah, as, as I said there they, they have found it hard to kind of counter the argument from the opposition that they should be joining this case immediately and taking a stand at the International Court of Justice The nuances of this I think have been lost a little bit. Sinn Féin has very clearly said that Ireland could join right now. The t- and others in government have said, no, no, we need to take a step back. We need to uh, get all, all the legal advice on this before we do that. So they are taking it seriously. They would like to join it. But I mean, I think I think the Taoiseach made a very salient point recently where he said that you know, joining this case, which will go on for years in the International Court of Justice, there's other cases um, in relation to, to Russia, which have been going on for years as well and, and its actions in Ukraine. It's not going to do anything in respect of solving the problem in terms of of getting a ceasefire, in terms of stopping the the bombardment of Gaza, in terms of stopping the death and destruction. So I think the point is being made that are there more practical things that can be done uh, from an Irish government perspective that can achieve a a peaceful solution to all of this? I think one other important point is that uh, the um, UN Relief and Work Agency, UNRWA, um, has uh, come under a lot of uh, pressure in recent weeks because of the allegations that a number of its staff have uh, were involved in the Hamas attacks on October 7th. As a result of this, a number of countries, including I think the US, uh, Germany, the UK, have suspended their funding of UNRWA. Ireland has not done that, and I think that's an important point uh, when you talk about the, the way in which Ireland has approached this conflict from the beginning. It's very much tried to straddle both sides, I think, and tried to be fair to the Israelis, and Hasn't, for example, expelled the Israeli ambassador with a view to keeping diplomatic channels open. But it's very clear that Ireland is, you know, officially, I think, more sided with the Palestinian cause and hasn't taken that, that, that step of suspending aid to UNRWA as a result.
1: And it is about what, what can they practically do aside from joining the case. But Patrick's Day will be coming up now next month mm. and different politicians will be going across the globe. The shock will be going to the White House, for example. Do you mm-hmm. think this will be part of those discussions?
0: Yes, I mean, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about boycotts, or, or Ellen has anyway. And, <laughs> uh, in, you know, boycott has come up in relation to this trip. And there has been calls for the Irish government and indeed for Sinn Féin, who always sends a strong delegation to the United States because um, historically has done a lot of fundraising there and so on and, and there's a lot of expats who feel an affiliation to, to Sinn Féin and, and the, the, the struggle for a 32-county uh, republic and there has been a lot of pressure for, for a boycott of that trip but the Irish government has never really gone down that road. Historically Irish governments haven't really participated in boycotts around this issue and the view is is that engagement with people is, is the best solution. So there are 11 ministries in total travelling to the United States in March uh, the Taoiseach at the head of that obviously uh, a bilateral meeting with President Joe Biden Biden in the Oval Office is expected. That is not a, an opportunity that is afforded to many countries of, of, the, of the size of Ireland. So it's considered significant that we get that every year as, as a result of St. Patrick's Day. And I think there will be huge public pressure on Taoiseach Glee of Radker to, to make the case for a ceasefire and to, to put forward Ireland's position very clearly. The U.S. position has become a bit more, I think, not as clear cut in terms of its support of Israel. You know, the, the Biden administration has had some pretty tense talks with Netanyahu. I don't think they they spoke to Benjamin Netanyahu for a number of weeks, uh, it, it, you know, quite recently. Um, but clearly, you know, historically, the United States, strong supporter of Israel, billions of dollars in, in aid and, and military support and military hard work to Israel. So Riker will be expected to raise this and he will be expected to raise it strongly. Whether he does or not remains to be seen. It's interesting. I think that the SDLP leader Colum Eastwood in, in the north, he he's taken the view that he'll go to Washington, but he won't participate in things like the Shamrock ceremony, where there's you know pints of Guinness and bowls of Shamrock and Irish music and festivities and all of this. He doesn't think it's appropriate in the context of the the death and destruction in Gaza, and I think that's a you know, that's a fair point. It will be difficult for some people to see the Taoiseach toasting with the U.S. President when the U.S. administration is a strong supporter of Israel historically, as I said, and, and you know has not necessarily you know, in the view of many people, done as much as it could to obtain a ceasefire in the Middle East. But that's the price of diplomacy sometimes and the price of maintaining diplomatic relations with the United States. I don't think ultimately Ireland will do anything that would jeopardise its relationship with the US.
1: Do you think where politicians stand on this conflict will influence voters and who they decide to vote for come the election, be it in the autumn or the spring next year?
0: I think it'll influence some voters, but I mean, if you look at the issues which uh, voters are most concerned about at the moment, it's things like housing, it's things like immigration, a relatively new uh, entrance into that, uh, the cost of living. International conflicts tend not to rate very highly. Um, they do when they break out. I think, you know, it would have rated, you know, when we look back, for example, when when Russia invaded Ukraine. And I think the fallout from that initial invasion in in, 2020, in February 2022, um, there was a lot of public concern in Ireland about that and, and you you know, there was a huge move to, to open up our doors and, and bring as many refugees in as possible. But I think the majority of people in Ireland will you know, ultimately, when it comes to election time, they vote about issues that matter to them and, and, and to their pocket, ultimately. As a foreign policy issue, as I said, I, it's it's been one of the biggest foreign policy issues that I've come across uh, since since I started covering politics a, a decade ago um, because it's just so, so seismic what's happened.
1: And my thanks to Hugh O'Connell and Ellen Coyne. I'm Tabitha Monahan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Dave Hanratty, with sound by Gav Hennessy. Archive clips from RTE News, BBC News, CNN, ITV News and Al Jazeera. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review. We're offering Indo Daily listeners 50% off an Irish independent digital subscription. Head over to independent.ie forward slash redeem to sign up for unlimited access to premium content, e-paper, puzzles and more. Just enter the code INDO, that's I-N-D-O, to receive 50% off your subscription. Stay informed and engaged. Subscribe today.